This is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to another fucking 7 a.m. The baby's been crying since 6. I worked last night. I got shit in my eyes. But Darren, fuck me. We won again. We won again. And we won going into an international break, which means we somehow, Darren, we take momentum into an international break. Darren, I wrote in the comment of this, if we continue yes. to win like this, and if we continue to go on like this, will the collective erection actually kill us through club <laughs> blood loss? <laughs> Ask me an easier one than that. <laughs> Sometimes I just love you. <laughs> Sometimes just, you are a wordsmith. It's just the way my brain works, <laughs> mate. I feel like I feel like all the collective blood in all of the Arsenal fans' bodies, all our collective blood, has just gone to our collective Arsenal penises at the moment. And we're basically sitting on this huge like erection of possibility. <laughs> Now, what do you want me to say to that? I've just come home. I've just had the best day ever. And there's loads of people joining us already. Can you hear me okay, by the way? Because I can't hear myself. Something's wrong. I can hear you. You're, you're fine, Darren, and you're loud and clear. Okay. I was just looking at all the people who are joining us already. Isn't that good? Look at them. They're Hello. all over the world. China and somewhere else <laughs> and things. Shit, I'm struggling. I can't hear myself. This is a bit weird. Talk for a minute while I just sort my sound out. Um, I mean, I said to a, I said to a friend of mine on the weekend prior to the game. He said, "Oh, how are you feeling about the Watford game?" And I said, "I actually feel like it's a bit of a, a banana skin game for us because I think whenever teams start to do something new." start to play in a different way the way that data is collected the way the modern game is used you know how much we know about teams we can look at their key data points look at how they're playing what areas they're pushing into you always feel that you're only ever three games away or four games away from having to do something different again because you you get worked out as a team you know i I go back to, if you remember when Wenger first went to a three at the back and it pulled us out of a slump. It's like changing a manager or changing a formation or changing a striker. So I did really think that this game was going to be a banana skin game for us. I think I'd said to you on the previous podcast, well, surely now managers must be looking at Arsenal and saying, well, let's just get through that first 20-minute blitz and then see what they've got for the bit that comes after it. Um, and Watford kicked the living shit out of us. I think it was 12 fouls and a half, which was the most we've been fouled in a game. They sat in. They didn't necessarily come to play. And this was the exact type of game previously that I had said Arsenal massively struggle in and massively struggle to create chances in. It's teams who sit in low blocks and try and hit us on the break. Um, but we went out, we played a very, very different 
type of game and we still created four chances. And like I said, the the overall feeling to be able to go into an international break, having banked another three points, having banked, I think it's something like 24 out of the last 26 points now and sitting where we're sitting. Um, the enthusiasm for Arsenal, Darren, has never been higher. Can I say that I've actually looked at a table now? You know, I've I've actually broken the curse. We're going to get smashed by Liverpool in our next game because I've uh, I broke the curse. Too many people have told me, you know, we're fifth in the table. I needed I needed to have a look. I actually needed to have a look, and we are. Things that shocked me were where West Ham United were. Fuck, they're mm. good, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I was going to talk about West Ham later on, but not only a West yeah, yeah. Ham good, not only a West Ham good, Darren. But I'd look at who West Ham beat this year, and they yeah, have yeah. not beaten the run They must have looked at that fucking. They must have looked at that fixture list when it came out, West Ham fans, and thought we're going to be bottom of the league. They've done West Ham. They've done Manu. They've done Tottenham. They've done Everton away. Uh, they've done Man City in the Cup. They've done Liverpool. They've done Wolves. All of these teams finished in the in the top six last season. Um, ridiculous. And they keep on trundling on. Actually, I played football on Wednesday night. We played against a team of Calvert-Lewins. They all had Calvert-Lewin on their back. Anyway, we fucking, we fucking smashed these cunts. 9-4. Um, really good performance. Anyway. What did you have? If, tell me you had Walcott on your back. Uh, no, no, no. We play in a like a neutral yellow, neutral yellow jersey. Um, yeah, that's uh, Walcott the coward. <laughs> anyway, the dude I was talking to after the game, fuck you. Um, the dude I was talking to after the game uh, said to me the the hardest team that they had faced this year, the team that they were that he looked at, and he was like, "Geez, you're well organized." Was West Ham? Yeah. So. Big game, big game. Just, just to check, we, we, we've lost Mike Scunny today. He's uh, unable to make it, but he's already in the comments. How can you be in the comments? You must be able to get onto a onto a link from there, couldn't he? What's going on? Who knows what he's doing, man? It's a bit weird. I can't. This is a bit weird for me. I can't hear myself. But uh, can everyone out there hear me? Come on, somebody in the comments, let me know you can hear my shit because uh, my sound is weird. I can't hear myself. Which is kind of weird. Anyway, positivity, Darren. On Toby said of... he can come on. Hang on, hang on. Toby said he could come on. That's your brother, Toby. Said he? he can come. That'd be great, Toby. We would love, love, love you to join. All right. Let me send that fuckhead the link. Sorry if this is a bit unprofessional, everyone. I've just had the most amazing day. It's my last day here in Spain before I make my way back to the UK, and I've just bought a house, <laughs> which in is why Spain. I was out celebrating something. You, yes. You bought a house in, in Spain. I've just bought a house. Yeah. Mate, well, fuck living anywhere in the fucking world where there's cities. Everything is shit. Every city is bought a house fucked. half an hour into the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> it's going to be good. So are you setting up um you set I'm, up I'm, set, I'm sending Toby a link, Darren. So if you could talk about football for one minute, just just <sighs> prattle on about Arsenal, that would be wonderful. 
Well, let me go back to, I've looked at the table and it's interesting because you know I'm always the positive one. I've said we can finish in the top four. I didn't realise how close we were. You've got to remember, we lost our first three games and suddenly my, my, uh, my, I've got a nephew, Max, who I talk about quite often, who's been using my season ticket while I'm away. And Max is like um, my kid, if you like. He's 23 years old. And three weeks into the start of the season, he said to me, Right, we've got to fucking sack Arteta. Arteta's got to fucking go. And I was saying, well, let's give him till Christmas at least. You know, this is his side. Let's see where we go. No, no, we've got to fucking get rid of him. And I asked him, uh, he just used my season ticket for the last three games. And I just asked him, um, he, he thanked me. He sent me a message saying, thanks. It's been fantastic. The atmosphere is fantastic at the Emirates. Really pleased. Thanks for letting me use your ticket. And I said, do you still want Arteta sacked? And he went, well... Well, no, it's all right. It's a bit better, but the jury's out. Is it still out for you? I sort of feel he's earned the season uh, no, at least. Huh? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not in the slightest. Is the is the jury out for me, Darren? Um, I think Scully and I spoke about this at the start of the season. The, the, the worst thing about Arsenal fans, and again, you know, I make comments on Arsenal fans because I'm not another football fan and I don't spend time in with other football fans at football or watching football. So I, I, I don't know what Man U fans are like with Man U fans or City fans are like with City fans. But from what I see with Arsenal fans, the worst thing with Arsenal fans is this, where they feel the need to, to nail their colours to the mast. So if they start off not liking someone, they've got to not like them forever. And if they start off saying that they don't believe in this manager, they've got to not believe in the manager forever. Well, like the business world, mate, you're only as good as your last PL. You're only as good as your last quarter. And you can fail for three fucking quarters and have your neck on the chopping block. And if you turn it around in that last quarter and deliver, you know, high level financial growth, then guess what? You're retaining your job for the next quarter. And I think that's the state of modern management. You know, this is why the average contract, even at big clubs, the average time spent at a club is less than three years. You have to come in. You have to get results. I think that we were frustrated by the fact that, not even that we weren't necessarily getting the results, but we are frustrated by the fact that we couldn't see a style of football. We couldn't see something developing that we could grab onto and say, this is Arsenal. He then addressed that this season I think he started addressing it last season, but he then addressed that this season um, with the help, obviously, of Edu and the help of the purchases. And I wanted to run through the purchases and how successful those purchases have been this season with you as well. We'll do that in a bit. So to say that the jury is still out on Arteta, I think it's to just spit into the wind and spit in your own face a bit, Darren, because any Arsenal fan right now who can't say, that that Arsenal team are up for the fight every week, which is the first prerequisite of any Arsenal fan, is I need to see my team up for the fight. Anyone who can't see that right now, I think you're just blinded by anger or blinded by the fact you wanted to get rid of Arteta and now you have to come to terms with the fact you can't get rid of him. So he hasn't lost the dressing room and he hasn't lost the team. Anyone who would then say, I can't see a style of football, well, I can still see a style of football developing every single week. And finally, anyone who's not turning on the TV at the moment, Darren, or going to the game, actually energised and actually 
happy and, and willing to go and watch Arsenal run out and not in love with their players at the moment, in love with the fight of the players. Well, I, I would say if you're not seeing that, then you're blind and you're insane as well. So everything that I need to see from a football team right now, Darren, I'm seeing from a football team. And the most beautiful thing about it is I'm seeing it from a football team that's littered with academy players and young players and development players who are going to be at the team for the next, you know, provided we can keep them for the next five to seven years. So is the jury out on Arteta? No. And anyone who says it is, I think you're a fucking idiot. Are you calling me an idiot? Yeah, I am calling you a fucking idiot. See, I, I think we we took a huge gamble with Arteta and, uh, you know, winning the FA Cup in his first few months was uh, was obviously gave him some money in the bank to give him a chance to, to carry on. And then we had a horrible season. It was a strange season with COVID and, you know, he's... Uh, his blind faith in players like Willian and Xhaka and things. And and some of these things have been forced. His hand's been forced a little by by what's happened to him. Um, but I also think he's learning along the way. Did you see his interview with Amy Lawrence last week? Have you have you managed to watch that? I did not. I, I, am, I implore everyone um, who, who's uh, a fan of the club. There was only, it was a half an hour interview uh, because he had his 100th game in charge of the club. So Amy Lawrence, who's a fabulous journalist, got the chance to interview him. And it's a lovely half an hour interview where you see into the man. And you, for me, you've got this impression that there is a man that actually really appreciates that he got one of the biggest jobs in football. He understands that. He really gets that. That He talks about when he went for the job the first time and didn't get the job when they employed Unai Emery. And he sort of understands that it was maybe a bit too soon. But suddenly, he's been thrust into the management of a club like Arsenal Football Club. And he's so proud. You know, and there, there's something really lovely about the interview that you can really see. And I'm aiming this at, at people who listen to us every week, like Why Not, who who are, who are isn't here at the moment, who opens every podcast with a, a message to me saying, Arteta out, Cronky out. And, and when you... You know, I mean, I'm human and I see in Arteta somebody who cares, who gets the club. And I'm so pleased that at the moment things are going really well for him. I'm just so pleased that um, he's 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 getting some rewards for the effort that he's put in. And he talks really about the unity in the club, about everybody, the players who are playing and more importantly, the players who aren't playing have all bought in to what he's trying to do. And I really got well, the I impression... Think that was most that was most visible, Darren, in the in the cup competition for me. We spoke about this. You know, when you have basically eight of the 11 guys who played in that cup, cup competition are either looking for a way out of the club, coming to the end of a contract, have been out on a loan in the last season, um, are coming to the end of their time at Arsenal or massively struggling to break into the Arsenal first team, having been basically starting players last season, to have all of those players come together and produce what was a really hard-fought cup competition win is usually a great indicator of the overall drive of the club, as in everyone pushing towards the same outcome. Someone said to me the other day, oh, we're playing so well, I really hope that we, um, we get knocked out of all the cup competitions and we can just concentrate on the Premier League. I said to him, mate, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life because, you know, winning breeds winning. 
we need to go deep into these cup competitions. We need to make sure all of these players are are playing. Um, and I agree with you completely, you know, in the sense that I do think that the job was too big for him. I, I agree with you that I think it was too big for him. I absolutely think that we needed Unai Emery to come in as a buffer manager. It's, someone almost always has to take almost has to own the first part of failure when you go through a large transitional period, like whoever comes in next is always going to fuck it up. So you would rather put that on someone with a bit more experience and put that on someone else. But the big thing that I I, I wanted to talk about and the, the big person who seems to have been the guy who came in for so much stick last season outside of Arteta, who I think's performance has been incredible this transfer absolutely incredible but no one wants to give credit to at the moment is edu and when we look at the signings that he's made oh jesus is in the room hey Um, for those who are listening on the podcast toby's just joined us toby how lovely to see you again the good looking brother Oh, thank you, mate. Definitely my favourite after that comment. You don't look good good to me, mate. You look like fucking three shades of shit. Your face is puffed up. You sound like Fran Drescher. Like you need to blow your fucking, blow the cum out your fucking nose. If Toby was to tell me he was actually Jesus reincarnated, I would start to follow him. That's how good he looks. Okay. Well, Toby, as you are in the room and now you've upset all the flow of the room with your impromptu gate crashing of your first podcast of the season, uh, and I was halfway through rambling through a point. Um, well, basically, we've been talking about Arteta, obviously, and how you know we, he has now earned, 100% earned his right to be Arsenal manager. But, Toby, the Arsenal fans, they haven't really given as much praise to Edu based on the signings that he's brought in this season and the quality of those signings or the quality over that essentially the signings over the last two years remove Willian and, you know, to an extent, maybe remove Pepe a bit, but particularly this season, Ben White, massive performer, Tommy Asu, massive performer, uh, Nun Tavaj, massive performer. Uh, how do you sort of rate how these guys have come in and integrated into the team and, how important these players have been in their specific positions in us actually moving forward. Well, I haven't missed the, uh, the five part question that I have to try and answer. Um, but I'll try and I'll, I'll try and work. He's my still way. Doing a question within a question within a sentence. Within I'll, a... I'll try and work my way through it. Um, I think the point started off with Edu. Um, and I think that he he does need some credit because um, we're not sure how much of um, of the youth policy was actually Arteta. So, you know, did Arteta previously back the older players and, and the system that he was playing in, especially after he came in um, and took over from Lundberg? And, and I feel like he did prefer those um, those players with greater experience. Um, and then we signings such as Willian and preferences for for players like that, not integrating Martinelli as much as we'd seen previously before he came in. So 
Yeah, I think I think uh, in a roundabout point, I think the the Edu signings obviously made in conjunction with Arteta, he would have a say. Um, does need does need an element of credit because I certainly don't think it was the bloody Cronkies that set that policy in place. Uh, no, I don't think it was the Cronkies set the policy in place, but I I also think that Arsenal fans need to get off the back of the fucking Cronkies a little bit because the investment over the last two years, whether or not that money has been spent well, um, probably the year prior, you could argue that the money wasn't That was the well. point I was going to say. As I say, uh, we normally get people straight away going, Arteta out, Cronkies out. Do you know what? My my philosophy has always been that I want the owners of the club to be Arsenal fans. And that's a simple, childish, almost basic instinct that you want the people who run the club that we love to at least love the club as much as we do. That's sort of like the number one thing. But when you look around the Premier League now, there's Arabs taking over countries, there's countries taking over clubs. Uh, West Ham have just had a... 27% investment in their club from Belarus or somewhere. You know, like, wanting the owner of Arsenal to be an Arsenal fan is a prerequisite for me. And But we've moved into a different world where that doesn't happen. But those who just criticise the Cronkies for Cronkies' sake, we are a self-supporting model that went that way as long as we could. And then suddenly we've, we've had what's happened in the last few years where we were a mid-table team suddenly from being a top team for a long time and they've reacted. They have reacted. They've invested a lot of money because we're not generating that money in a COVID-related era. There's no money coming into football clubs. We lost all our stadium revenue and, and we're on the same money coming in as the Burnleys and Crystal Palaces and Brightons of this world and yet we haven't got an oligarch behind us who's been willing to invest and yet they did. They have put a good 200 million into this club to give us the opportunity to plan for the future. And I would, I would say, look, I want Arsenal. I want the club to be run by Arsenal fans, but at least they have just not washed their hands of this club and they've done something to support us. And now we're seeing the fruits of it. I think you're also seeing that economically, the the game is changing to a point um, where the baseline of players' costs is going up considerably. We're seeing more players run down the contracts. We're seeing higher revenues through television rights, which is forcing higher wages on contracts, which is meaning that the Spanish teams and the German teams, the Apex teams in the other league are now struggling to bail the big clubs out of these massive, massive contracts, which means if you bring someone in and you put them on £350,000 a week, they're basically going to complete their contract with you. There's no Real aren't coming in and saying, oh, we'll take him off your hands for 100 million and we'll take his wages for you as well. So the way that you now are forced maybe to construct a club is around one or two very, very, very high profile signings and then actually taking what is essentially more of an Arsene Wenger, David Dean model and trying to get very, very, very good younger players and putting them on lengthier contracts and then backing them. So you kind of end up with this, this bell curve of clubs. I was talking to my mate Fergus about Liverpool and he was saying outside of Virgil van Dijk, he doesn't think that Liverpool have made an absolutely apex world-class signing in this period where they become a top team. Salah came out of 
uh, Roma after failing at, at Chelsea. You know, Sane came out of Southampton. Firmino came out of mid-table Bundesliga. Uh, Milner was running down, you know. Uh, Gigi Van Alden was a player from another club. Jordan Henderson had come in, you know. But basically what they did is they put together all of these Trent Alexander-Arnolds and brought in these different guys and bolstered the team with Premier League players and basically produced a team that all came together at the top of their bell curve at the same time. And I'm looking at Arsenal and I'm thinking, I don't think that team's ready to go now. And I think it would be foolish to say, I think that team's ready to go now. I mean, Premier League title ready to go now. I don't believe it. But you can see us starting to move up the side of this bell curve, you know, and as a couple of these contracts drop off and your Aubameyang contracts drop off and your Lacazette contracts drop off and you end up with all of that wage able to be reinvested somewhere else, you start looking at Arsenal and you start thinking, we may only be one good 60 or 70 million pound signing away from becoming Apex as all of these guys kind of come up together. Toby, anyone? Toby, yeah, I was just saying, Toby, stop him for fuck's sake. Will you talk about something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we went from we went from Liverpool and their model. I, I sort of see the, um, I kind of see where he was going with it. No, no, um, no, no. He's actually he's, the last few weeks. You've got to say these seven o'clock in the morning podcasts. He actually speaks quite well. He's uh, he's he's not the drunken, stupid man that we're used to of an evening. He, he suddenly, you know, Max is talking some sense, but he doesn't stop him talk, talking. <laughs> no, no. Well, less when, drunk, no, when, less when, drunk, when, no, when no one is fucking conversing with me and I'm just left to talk fucking by myself to fill in the time. Feel, hey, no, free, to jump, feel free to jump in with intelligent fucking retort no, at any time. Any Darren's, Darren's just a professional. He doesn't speak over you. So, yeah, so... Um, I was going to say, a, you're a right, but I didn't want to talk over you. <laughs> a signing or two away from being Apex to get back to the point. I don't know about Apex in the modern context, you know, because Apex in the modern context is probably your PSGs and your Manchester Cities and, and so forth. But being relevant and being competitive up, up in that sort of top four table, um, you know, we're probably not far away. We the structure of the team and the performance of the team um, from, you know, let's say one of those 60 or 70 million pound players to sprinkle that bit of class or performance on top of it. You would need, I would say, a bloody hardworking all-round number nine to really bring that team together, someone that can create bully muscle link with the midfield and, and the wide forwards and score goals from something that they would create themselves. So a much more complete all-round centre-forward um, would do that for for me. Um, you know, in saying that, let's just have the little thought process towards we're only playing once a week, and I think that's a really, really big benefit. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I can't help but worry. I mean, we've... I was criticising Arsenal two or three weeks ago, where we, you know, we've been battered by most of the teams we've played this year: Burnley, you know, Crystal Palace, Brighton, 
Manchester City, Chelsea, Brentford, they'd all outplayed us. And then suddenly we, we you know, we've got a couple of victories. We beat Tottenham really well um, and we've gone on a run. And within that run, we've got slightly better and better and better. But we just scraped a 1-0 win against Watford, who are probably going down this year. You know, so things aren't perfect. You know, the, the, the fixtures have been kind and it's all sort of worked. But isn't there a, just a huge well of relief that we're seeing things get better? Do you remember all that time under Unai Emery? We had that 22-game unbeaten run and everyone saying, oh, Arsenal are back. I watched those games. We were terrible. You know, we yeah, were, you we always were felt, terrible. You always felt like we were going to concede with Unai. And over that 21 games, we didn't. We conceded more shots than any other team in the in the Premier League over that period of time. I think the most interesting thing about watching Arsenal at the moment is that even when we're on the back foot and even when we're under pressure you feel quite safe. And we spoke about this over the last couple of weeks, Darren, where I said to you, you know, I'd said a few weeks ago, do you, does this remind you of a very, very old-fashioned Arsenal team? You know, the Four Horsemen, your Keowns and your Adams and your Dixons and your Winterburns and your Siemens. And you said, no, 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 there's no comparison, no comparison at all. And then, you know, a week or two weeks later, there is some comparison. You know, I would argue, Toby, if, if we're looking at, if we're looking at, you know, saying, oh, well, the cities and, and you know, the PSGs and, and, and all of these teams are much more apex than us. I would argue at the moment, not from front to back, but from back to front, on form, I would not take a different back four in the Premier League at the moment. You, you would struggle, you, you would definitely struggle. I wouldn't take another centre-back at the moment. Give me a, give me a centre-back pairing who's playing better. Tommy Asu is playing out of his skin. Nuntavaj is playing out of his skin, six million pounds on Nuntavaj playing out of his skin, who's going to keep fucking Kieran Tierney, yeah, sorry. our player he, of the season that, on the bench. Is that the correct way to say it? That's Nuno the correct Tavares. way to say his name, Nuntavaj. Well, well, can we call him Nuno Tavares, the same as everybody else? Well, his name's Nuntavaj, champion. I can call you Duran, but it won't be right. We all, yeah, know, how we all know how to pronounce your name, Darren. It's but if cut. everyone calls me Duran, I'll accept it. That's fine. Okay, <laughs> you know? okay. It's Duno okay, Tavares. Come on. You were the one who called uh, Tomoyasu. What did you call him for the first month? Tom Kotsu. A form of ramen. ramen. Yeah. Yeah, I did call him a thought of a form of ramen. <laughs> so, I mean, Max obviously favours Portuguese over Japanese. There's no doubt Absolutely. about that. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, look, back... Back four wise, that that's a that's an interesting point. Um, I think the sample size is a bit small to say, you know, outperforming the rest of the Premier League or not wanting anyone else. But you know, you, you you're seeing something. You're seeing something there. I well, think statistic, what we statistically, Toby, they're the best back four in the competition right now. Okay, so, all right, I'll, so, I'll accept so that. The, I'll so accept the that. optics of it, as in how it looks, is a tick. Then statistically, it's, it's it being. Was. Statistically, it's being backed up that they are operating as the best back four, back five in the Premiership right now. Yeah, it's funny because there's, I believe there's been a trade-off from an attacking sense. And, and you know, having Tomayasu there, who to me is a cardboard cutout of Chambers, it's just that Chambers fucked up and he didn't take his opportunity, mm -hmm. you know. 
it was quite clear that Arteta quite likes to attack down the left and then use, you know, a hybrid centre-half right fullback to, you know, to shore things up, you know, and, and sort of move across into a back three, you know, when in possession. So I think, you know, Tomoyasu coming in and shoring up that side of the defence, um, strong with headers, great getting a foot in on last-ditch tackles, um, very sort of aware positionally. Um, I think we've done a really good job in that. However, you do trade off from time to time with an attacking sense. So occasionally Tomoyasu can get up, you know, into the into the final third of the pitch or even towards the byline and just doesn't quite have that end product, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the cross that's not hit perfectly, that gets cut out by the keeper, uh, you know, that final ball, that ability to to beat the man. So I always think you've got, in football, you've always got a trade-off between, you know, you're attacking and you're defensive-minded. And, and, you and if you don't have a trade-off, Toby, you know what you've got? A hundred million fucking pound player who's the most sought-after player in the world. No, no, of course. And, 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 and I get that. So I was just putting the, I was just starting with a more cautious approach before the love in. Um, and then I'll head off towards the, um, you know, a, a, a different side of things. In I've that got to say, got... I need to just, just interject on Tomiyasu. I've been watching Arsenal forever and he is the best right back I have seen there. I was going to say potential there. I hesitated to say potential. He is a player that is ready-made for this league. I don't know whether it's because he's Japanese, but he's mentality is right and i'm not mm. saying he is the perfect best footballer i've ever seen but mm. he knows exactly what to do he understands instructions i don't know if it's just a japanese profile his personality he's tall he's strong he wins headers something we haven't had for a while he can attack he can ping a ball 50 yards i think we have found and look he hasn't had every game hasn't been fantastic but i really do believe that he is the key to one of the major differences in our success to now to to 10 games ago he is exceptional he gives effort he understands his role he knows his positioning he knows when to go forward he knows when to give it simple he to me is our perfect footballer give I me 10 more of he's him he's been hugely hugely relevant in our uptick and Toby, if you go back through old, old podcasts last season, old podcasts of you and me, old podcasts of me and Darren, we many, many, many times made the point that Hector Bellerin was a very, very big problem for Arsenal. Was mm -hmm. Arsenal Hector was Bellerin? Can I just can I add on that? Hector Bellerin was my favourite player for the last ten years because I didn't have much buying into much of our squad, and he, I watched him make his debut. He looked like he was going to be the best le uh, best right back we have ever seen. And I mean that, like Dixon included, he was going to be the one that was going to do it. He had everything. He had technical qualities, pace. I don't know who ruined him. I don't know whether it was a, a combination of his vegetarianism, his veganism, Arsene Wenger, his fashion interests, his lack of commitment to football. His ACL something, injury. Something, <laughs> his ACL injury. 
Yeah, but before that, something went wrong with Hector Bellerin. Something mm. in his DNA. He Thing didn't want to become the best. He he lost did, his mojo. He lost his yeah. drive to be the best. And but he didn't that happen throughout very, the entire club? But he yeah, but he he was the one that was the the potential. He was the one that was our one superstar for me. He yeah, was going to be I agree. The best left yep. right back in the world. I and agree. Over a course of three or four years, he didn't. Now, and so and, ever... and you're you're also right that his form dipped before the ACL. So you know he something happened, and 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 whether it was that um, appetite that you need to be the best because he had other interests in the world. You know, you need you almost need to be a bit simple minded, and you know, and um, obsessive to to get to that level. But he he was he was linked with with everyone. I mean, was was Jesus? Jesus Christ, I'm talking about. Um, was Jesus the best carpenter in the world? No, he lost interest. He went on to save the world and become the leader of the Jews or whatever. He he was never the best carpenter. But when he started out, I bet they were thought, what a fucking good carpenter he is. You know, he had That's everything. Right. They thought he was going to be a fucking great carpenter. And then he lost his his way and he and he went on to be something else. That's how I see Hector Bellerin. I just think. Mm -hmm. In life, we might look back if we live long enough that in 20 years' time we will look back on Hector Bellerin when he's he, he's running eco issues and 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 probably running for government and parliament and changing things in our world or maybe just wearing a dress and looking pretty and being very rich. But he lost that mojo to be a great footballer, and who knows what that reason is? But he did, and I suddenly in Tomiyasu, we I see I see the the. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Japan. I mean, I don't know much about Japan. It's one of the few countries I haven't visited where I think he has been brought up to be an athlete, to be professional, to be everything that is perfect. He ticks every box. Well, I, I, think I think culturally there, and I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, Darren, culturally they are perfection to the, you know, and, and, you know, one of the cultures that have maintained a lot of tradition. I mean, I don't know what's happened you know, there in the last sort of 10 or 15 years when the world's gone uber woke and progressive and all of that bullshit. But traditionally, you know, Japan was very, traditionally they were very traditional. That's a very profound comment from me. But, you know, follow follow direction, true, and, direction and, and instruction to a T because that, that is that, that culture, you know. So he has come in and, and performed at this level um, and then under a direction, which is very specific because it certainly isn't a free-flowing, individualistic, autonomous position the way he's playing. Um, so I think it's wonderful. I did want to draw one comparison with Tomoyasu um, and just to bounce off of you two. I sort of feel like he's a bit of a, an Ivanovic from the Mourinho era mm. who was hugely successful. Third, third, third centre-back allows people to move forward in front of him. You know, Cashley Cole on the other on the <coughs> other side, who was far more attacking and build over, up orientated. Over six foot, over six foot. <clears throat> sorry, I'm choking on the morning. Um, over six foot tall. I mean, I remember I put a tweet up after Tommy Ars's first game, and I said, "Who would have thought a right back who plays at right back and whose heat map comes up as a right back, and who, when is required to be a right back, is at right back, would achieve for us so highly as a right back." You know, it's yeah. it's all it's almost like 
and and to go back to Darren's uh, point a little bit and to answer that, you know, Hector Bellerin's form coming down before, I also feel like Hector Bellerin and a lot of the players who were left over from the Arsene Wenger era had been shaped so much, moulded so heavily in the form of Arsene Wenger that as football changed and as Arsene Wenger became ineffective as a manager or less effective as a manager, um, that they became less effective as players because they were all in the mould of Arsene Wenger. Mm. And now what you're seeing is, to, to go back to a comment, who was it? Did you put it up? He talks about the athletic profile of the back five. And I think this is such a solvent point because for so long, solvent, salient, such a salient point. Um, for so long, we've lacked the athletic profile. You know, and you talk about Novanovic, Toby, and you talk about that Mourinho era. Well, what did Mourinho come in and do that smashed the shit out of the Premier League? He went and got he the biggest big bastards he could. Big bastards who rang hard. Ivanovic's, mm. Essien's, Drogba's. You know, all of mm. these guys who were just massive fucking bodies. And for yeah. so long, we've been... At the same time that Wenger was going for the ticky-tacky Barcelona yeah. style. With yeah, and how many players. times did we get run through, you know, possession yeah. high up the field, and then we just get broken and destroyed. You know, someone like yeah. Arteta would get a red card because he'd have to chop someone down because he was too slow. And the last we, man of... Def- I think, it feels I mean, like it's... that athletic profile is across, is across the entire team now. Ramsdale, athletically... If you look at his save against Leicester, his two saves against Leicester, because his first his first <laughs> save that he tips around the corner is actually better than the camera save from the free kick, by the way. And um, but you look at that athletic profile in Gabriel, the athletic profile of Ben White. Why are we starting to see and enjoy Nun Tavage on the left, uh, and or even a fully fit KT running up and down there? And um, you're starting to see this athletic profile across the entire team and weirdly weirdly probably one of the last guys remaining who was a Wenger signing is the guy who looks to be the odd man out at the moment athletically and I wanted to get to this it's Aubameyang we've spoken about him a little bit Toby you haven't been on the podcast Darren and I have made our opinions have sort of we're up and down with Aubameyang as you are because he floats in and out of games and Toby he looks a yard too slow off the mark at the moment. He looks like he's got a load of kids and a load of energy around him and that they're putting the ball into areas that he seems to maybe not be able to quite get to. And we we understand that we need to replace this guy and we understand that we need to replace him with a bigger, more athletic, more hold-up profile, probably a combination of Aubameyang and Lacazette. Um, but how do you feel about him at the moment? Because there's still a lot of the fan base who are backing him in really heavily. Yeah, look, I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. Um, I think we've got enough work rate around the team um, to make up for him as long as he finds his scoring boots again. So even with the shocker that he had in the last game, he still could have scored three goals and made an assist. So, you know, it's as long as he keeps his head up, um, you know, I'm although I would like a more complete all-round striker, someone like a Danny Ings or something like that, I thought would have been amazing for us if he could stay fit. Um, however, I am aware that, you know, he's he's 32 and he's he's on the he's on the downward slope, if not a spiral. Um, but yeah, look, I'm I'm just not ready to to write him off just yet. 
um, I was reading a really interesting article the other day about how his increase in work rate and pressing and tackles and headers per game, he's actually um, in the top, like if he's not number one, he's in the top couple of strikers at the moment. Yeah, for I read the those. same article, Toby. It's not It's not so much that he's outperforming the rest of our team, but he's, he's actually, the stats he's producing now for chasing, for pressing, for all those things mm. are higher than he has done himself. Exactly. So he's outperforming himself. Yeah. So he's what he's actually himself. done, yeah. he's reinvented himself. So if he can find elements of those scoring boots, although, you know, his scoring prowess, which I feel with his personal personality he can do because he smiles and laughs and shakes it off. I think that's a really positive trait um, to have instead of getting down in the dumps. So, you know, two-part answer, maybe three-part answer. I would rather a more complete striker. However, I think he's doing a great job. And, um, you know, if he finds that scoring boot again, then um, then he can then he can still be something for us. Are, if, if, can I just make one more point? Of course you can. Carry on, so, yeah. Sorry, mate. Sorry. Um, now, take his wage aside or don't even take his wage aside because to sign a new player is £100 million for someone who's not that good anymore. I wonder if he could become something of a, a Pippo Inzaghi for AC Milan. He doesn't play every game anymore, but He's a finisher. He knows how to get in the right positions, and he adapts himself over time. Not on, you know, not on three, not on three hundred k. No, no, no. But, but take away, take take can't, away. Can't take away. Can't take away the money. You can take to, away. You can because if you've got to, because it's nothing to do with football. No, no. Because if you have to sign a new player, is what I'm saying. So say he was willing to take on a contract for slightly less and be part of the club and remain till he's 35, 36. He could score a very important 10, 12, 15 goals, and then you you may have Champions League as well. So it's just a point that, you know, I'm not saying this is what will happen, but I'm saying, you know, I would be moving on Lacazette and trying to See, replace I am the com- him. I am the complete opposite. I could not be more opposite. I would be giving Lacazette, who I actually see as, if not performance-based, spiritually, he's had a huge impact coming back into the team, right? Running around and geeing everyone up and doing his Lacazette. Yeah, for, for two games or three games, and then Lacazette becomes Lacazette again and becomes ineffectual. Whatever, whatever. You know, you can only look at the paints, Toby, that are on the canvas in front of you. Or you can only work with, you can only paint with the colours that you're given. There's a saying well, there. Well, that, that with my point of keeping Oba instead of trying to sign someone else who's going to cost. Toby, I'm, I'm, I'm not market. trying to paint. I'm not trying to paint with your your pinks and purples, right? I'm try, I'm over here trying to paint in with your charcoals and grey, right? Yeah. Can I, can uh, what I, I, what I am it, saying is, go on forever, staring to the, into the you're, abyss. You're, you're both actually right, and you're both completely wrong. In that, what we have to understand as Arsenal fans at the moment, you can you can eulogise about what could have been or what couldn't have been. 
we have got a player, two players, both centre-forwards, both got incredibly good scoring records for Arsenal. Aubameyang's is excellent and Lacazette's is consistent. Uh, both add different elements to the game. We can't change everybody at once. We have got, you think about West Ham United at the moment, flying high at the top of the table, and I hope we get on to talk about West Ham. Would they uh, swap uh, Antonio for Aubameyang? Probably. Or would they add him to their squad? Absolutely. Would West Ham United want Lacazette to, to, to get into their squad? Absolutely. We have got incredibly good depth with two very, very good strikers. And they may not fit the way we play at the moment, but let's just call a spade a spade. We have two excellent strikers at, at, at our club. And they may not fit into the model that we want, but they are the strikers that we got. And they're not, they're not that fucking shabby. Aubameyang, he's not my favourite, hasn't been for years. Hated him playing on the left, thought it was a waste of position. Add somebody behind him with Lacazette now playing with two up front and suddenly he's involved in the game. Let's give him credit. He's working hard. I will support him for doing that. If he was just walking around up and down the pitch like Alexis Sanchez, who I couldn't wait to get out of the club, everyone loved him, superstar, did fuck all for the team, ran around like an, uh, a knobhead when, when he thought the cameras were on him, right, couldn't give right a shit, shout. anything else. He would right score shout. a goal when he thought it was something important for him, wouldn't give anything to the team. Aubameyang is working for the team, Lacazette is working for the team. Let's support him now and look at the situation in 12 months' time. Well so, said. It would, Alexis it is a not- Alexis was a cunt and Toby and I have called him a cunt many times. Manny, on the other hand, wants to fucking suck his dick. Manny called him an Arsenal legend. Fuck you, Manny, if you're listening. I miss you, big, beautiful chocolate man getting angry at everything. Uh, come back, buddy. Come back. Um, it would be it would not be an Arse Bros podcast, Toby, if we didn't talk about my other Chocolate love child. And we're going to have fucking Maitland-Niles loving now. Ainsley fucking Maitland-Niles, Toby. Now, Darren doesn't think Maitland-Niles is very good, right? Darren doesn't like him. But you've got to remember, Toby, Darren Can I just say, like, I love Darren all doesn't like Sol Campbell. Except Darren, Sol Campbell. Hang on. Sol Campbell's a cunt. Yeah, okay. We're not going into that one again. Um, <laughs> I've always liked Darren up until this point. Now no, I no, don't get, don't get, oh, it, don't get him started. Let's talk about Sol Campbell. <laughs> let, let me just paint a picture of Sol Campbell. Sorry if you haven't listened to me before on Sol Campbell. Sol Campbell left Tottenham Hotspur, where he was club captain and went through his entire career there and could have played for anyone in the world. He run down his contract and then joined his club that he's played for as a boy. He went and joined their biggest rivals where he could have gone for any anyone in the world he could have played for Barcelona he could have played for Real Madrid he could have played for Bayern Munich and he chose to go to the club across four miles up the road and win trophies for them I cannot believe as a man that you would want to be in the same dressing room as that Judas we're on a real religious street tonight aren't we you could not be in the same dressing room as that man because he doesn't have Loyalty, he doesn't have respect. He should have fucked up as far away in the world as he could from Tottenham. And he went and played for us. And I love the fact that he played for us. I love the fact we won things. I love the fact that he shoved it up that lot the road. But as a man, when he says, I can't get a job because I'm black, no, you can't get a job 
because you're not a very nice man and nobody likes you, nobody respects you, nobody wants to play for you. Sol Campbell, great player, terrible human being. Also oh, one of the you... lowest also one of the lowest win rates as a manager in Premier League history, but played the race card, not the you're not a very good manager card, apparently. It's Darren Schuster. He's never managed in the Premier League. Moving on. Uh, Toby. I think that, sorry, that, sorry. Let's that not get facts get in the way of a good story, but he never managed yeah. in the Premier League. He played, yeah. he managed at South End, rubbish, got sacked. He managed at lower league clubs and just used the race card. It wasn't because he's black, he's not very good. I read Brilliant. an article. I read an article um about him doing it the tougher way instead of just being given a Premier League opportunity like the rest of the dickheads. So there, there's, there's, another, there's another perspective to that. Um, can we and, talk about and, Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Yes. Please, can we talk about Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Okay, sure. Literally, we've yelled at Sol Campbell on like 10 different podcasts. Sure. I, I just like to finish off. That hurt my heart, what Darren was saying, because Sol was one of my favourite players of all time. And I, I was probably, as a player. And I was probably, let me finish. I was probably too young to realize the the gravity of the situation of what he did to Spurs. But I loved him as an England player. I admired him, and when he came to us, it was just heaven. So anyway, anyway yes. Okay, now let me let me wax lyrical about this, and also call Darren a total piece of shit for um for not realizing not, not loving the it. Yeah. the just. What I've been seeing in Mainsley for a really long time is playing out on the pitch. You know, calmness on the ball, athleticism, an eye for a forward pass, ability in tight spaces, um, an attacking perspective, a physique that enables him to, when he actually bothers running, cover the pitch in an incredibly fast time. Massive shoulders, you know, a, a, a physique that can handle the rigours of, of the Premier League, you know, and being given this opportunity when he was out the door again, he's almost like a cockroach in a nuclear holocaust. He just keeps coming back, you know. So it's um, for for him, I, I said in our chat group and um, a, a while back with the Leeds game, how well he played and how good he looked and his ability to sort of absorb a bit of a press from the other team and move the ball forward instead of just playing the simple ball sideways and backwards. Um, you know, and then lo and behold, party goes down again because that's what party does. And he's back in the team. And, you know, he, 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 he looks good. He looks good. My only criticism of him, and I want to get this out before I forget, is that I feel that he hides on the pitch sometimes. I just wish he'd show for the ball a little bit, a little bit more. Uh, look, I've not been Maitland Niles' biggest fan, not because I don't love every player that plays for Arsenal. I give them everything. I give them everything. I, I really do. I support him. I'm the one who was cheering Ibui when he was booed. You know, I am that man. <laughs> I, I am Ibui. an El Nenny. I'm an El Nenny fan. You know, I, I give these players who give everything for the club. You know, El yeah, Nenny's yeah. a really good example. He gives everything for the club. So why do you I hate Mainsley? Explain. I don't hate Mainsley. I, Mainsley, I just think the biggest issue with him, and I, if he has got over this, 
which in his recent performances hopefully he has, he's a bit stupid. He is one of those players that he's playing for 90 minutes a week in a game of football, but he forgets and he can only do five, ten minutes at a time and then his mind wanders and suddenly, fuck, oh shit, there's a goal. And that was Ainsley Moten-Olsman. He had every component to make a really good footballer, yeah. whatever position he played in. He played really well as a wing-back. Yeah. Except play between the, the left. ears. He could what, play yeah. on the right. But he lost concentration so often. And I don't care what you say. I don't care how good you are. When you play in the back half of the pitch in a defensive or midfield position, if you switch off at the level that the Premier League is now, you get punished. And he forgets things. You can watch him. I watch him. I stared at him sometimes. And he's, he, he's, he's, he's in the game for five minutes. And then suddenly he switches off. His concentration dips. And that those little dips are the things that stopped him becoming a top footballer. But he was also very, very young. And now he's had a couple of years to learn. And I'm sure he is learning. I'm sure he's maturing. What is he still? He's only probably 24, 25 years old, 20, if that. 24, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and he's getting better. And, you know, that performance he played at the weekend... He stood in for Thomas Party and Toby, I don't know if you've been listening to me. I keep saying he's Thomas Party, all that. I haven't seen him play. You know, he's had out, but that's well, a good game actually, in 25. He, well, he I, I've, been, actually, I've been saying that too, Darren. He yeah. didn't actually so, stand in for Thomas Party positionally. He stood in for Lakonga. Lakonga stood in for Thomas Party. AMM yeah, was actually pulling into the left back position much more, played it actually much more the way that Jacker would play the role, but with more athleticism. Yeah, absolutely. So, 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 so I'm saying I'm not critical of Ainsley Maitland-Niles as a player. I think he's got, you know, we look at these players that have come through, Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, have come up through our ranks and they're a lot more technically gifted than the players that we used to see coming through the ranks, the Ray Parlers, the things. They weren't technically great players. They had fire and energy and he had all that. Mm. He was just mentally deficient. But as he's got older, his, his performance at the weekend was complete. You know, suddenly we're looking at a player that we're happy. I always wanted El Nenny to stand in when there was a because El Nenny doesn't make many mistakes. He may be a bit dull. He may not do anything, but he 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 passes the ball. He does. He, he plays within his. No, but he plays forward. within his comfort zone. He doesn't give the ball away. <laughs> he links the play. He, he's a safe, safe option. I and don't think El Nenny even plays football. I think no, but Maitland Niles had something special. Yeah. Maitland Niles. I think I think El Nenny has. Just don't fuck up tattooed on his yeah, you yeah. Know, on his yeah. wrist to, to you know to remind himself. Uh, can I just say what, to the what's two of my you? role here? Don't no, no, fuck can up. Can I just fuck say up. to the two of you something that maybe you don't get so much from your remote viewing is when you're in a hostile atmosphere at the Emirates, which it's been for years. It's lovely this season, but for years it's been a hostile environment in that. And when you give the ball away and you've got 45, 50,000 really bitter, angry fans yeah. groan yeah. Uh, uh, when you do something wrong. It clutching, certain, clutching their prawn sandwich in their five-pound bottle it, of Arsenal water. It, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot for a player to, to do what Smith Rowe and Sacker do. And that's why those two are really great for Arsenal because they've grown up. They're Arsenal men and they're, they're confident enough to do something. Maitland-Niles, you know, the same. He just switches off. Elneny doesn't like that groan, you know. He will just give it simple because he wants to walk off that pitch after 90 minutes with no mistakes. And that doesn't make a great football team. 
but it, it, he plays safe. Maitland Niles, if he if he can take away that that ten minutes a game where he just loses concentration, he could be a really important player for him. And I look at Thomas Barty and think twenty five games he's played for us. He's been injured for six months. He's uh, had six good games. He scores very infrequently. He assists infrequently. He's uh, he's he's been a complete disappointment for me for this superstar that I heard we were going to get. I still have hope that he will turn into that great player because there are signs this year that he will. But if he doesn't, isn't it good that we've got someone like Ainsley McNeil-Niles who's now looking strong enough to actually come into this team with the confidence to actually do something different? You know, yeah, can I just, can I just, can I just jump in? Can I just jump in, Darren? So so two or three or four pieces to to bite into there. Number one, El Nenny shit, fuck off. Um, number two, um, I think I think with Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I, I think there's two very natural things that have happened. So him going out on loan last year, I think he might have seen, he might have visibly seen and visibly felt what it actually is like to leave a big club. Now, some people don't get that opportunity because they get sold. And they get sold and you see these guys who were quite good at youth level and quite promising and then they fuck off to a mid-table team and they kind of become nothingness. They kind of become a Tom, nothingness. A team. Tom Cleverly. Yeah, you know, a, a Joe a Joe Willick this season. You know, yeah. it, it, you, t- you take any top team anywhere, you know, where you get these young kids who come in and they don't quite make the grade. And I think what has happened with Ainsley most likely is he's seen what the other side of football looks like now. He's seen what it is to get signed by a West Brom and to go and be in a fucking losing team surrounded by six and seven out of ten players. And if you listen to Arteta's interview post-game, Arteta said, absolutely humbo-gumbo. Awobi would be another prime example. You know, a guy who, who in an Arsenal team looked quite good but could never quite make the grade. But when you listen to Arteta's um, interview afterwards, he made a big point. They didn't ask him the question. He made a very big point of bringing up Ainsley. And he said his attitude is different. He's asking more questions in training. He's training harder and his body language is much better. So if those things that you're And asking, he's given up the weed to help with his... Well, he may have... Up. He's people, maturing. He people, mature, people mature at different stages. Mm. You look at John Tonkotsu. He's a very, very, very mature 21-year-old. You look at Aaron Ramsdale. And I implore everyone, even if you don't watch golf, Go on tubes. No, and, and I and never will. List up, go on tubes and Ange's YouTube channel, and they play golf with players. They play golf with Aaron Ramsdale after the Leicester game. Go watch the twenty-five minute video. You will fall in love with Aaron Ramsdale even more as he goes around the golf course. So mature, Max. so together. Max. Anyway, Max. I'm not. I'm not finished. Let me keep going. So okay, one point, ma- two more to go. People mature at different. So El shit. He's seen what fucking not being at Arsenal looks like. Ainsley. The manager is fucking backing him in, right, which is absolutely huge. And my final point is I think anyone who looks at Thomas Party and brings up his goal contribution or brings up his assist contribution and says that he's not good enough for those two points clearly didn't fucking understand the type of player that we were buying. I think he's been a lot better than what doubters say that he's been. Yes, I agree he has been injured and he has been injury-prone, but as far as athletic profile, as far as putting a man in the middle of the park for us, and also having someone who's an absolute professional for some of those young kids, those younger people around him, 
the Lakongas to look up to, the AMNs to look up to, our midfield people to look up to. I think he's been really, really important. When you actually look at it, he wasn't overly expensive. His wages aren't through the fucking roof. There's still a couple more years to get out of him. The athletic profile of the Arsenal team with Ainsley Maitland-Niles coming into that team and performing as well, this is what I mean about looking at us on a bell curve and watching us kind of slightly move up the bell curve. And I've always thought that Ainsley would never look good in a team that was struggling, but Ainsley would always look good in a team that was playing well. The big question I have to, to finish off this podcast, we've done now, we'd like to keep them to an hour, and we'll go uh, we'll go around the traps. Um, we've spoken a lot about athletic profile. We've spoken a lot about the two-directionalness of Arsenal now. We've spoken a lot about having comfortable technical midfielders on the ball. We've spoken a lot about having comfortable technical two-footed central defenders. Granite Xhaka will come back into this team and the debate rages on on Twitter. Darren and I spoke about it last week. We both know what we what we think about it. Toby, I'm going to leave it with you. Two-part question. Number one, does Granite Xhaka walks straight back into this team when he's fit regardless because he's been backed by every manager forever. And two, will Granite Xhaka look better because the back two are good or will the back two look worse because you put a less athletic midfielder in front of them? Jesus Christ. So we were going party. We went back to Mainsley briefly. Then and that, somehow, then that was, and then that was finished. Went, Toby, then that point okay. was finished because everyone had had their say. This is how a podcast works. Right when you're hosting, which you know you've done once and you weren't very good at, and um, but when fair, you're doing so, it, I when you're it was doing left field, fucking Jacker has to get into every podcaster. It's relevant. Well, considering we're talking about the midfield and considering Look, we're talking yeah, about okay. party, cut it off. Let me make my my response. I'm I'm terribly sorry for and I need one more on your five point five point question. Um, look, Jacker is an important part of this team, and he'll come he? back. And he, yes, and he'll do he'll do a job now. Going slightly back to party and and where I feel that he's he's okay but hasn't performed, I think Xhaka has been more important to the team over the last couple of years than party has. Party gives away possession at a higher rate. Party, you know, he he he's he's pressed and broken down in in transition. He loses the ball. I'm not saying he's a bad player overall, but he's less complete than what than what we're, we're thinking. He's certainly a physical presence, but he's consistently not in the team. He's in and out and doesn't ever progress to that form where he is a fulcrum of the midfield. So in answer to your question, when you've got Lakonga, who also has a habit of giving the ball away, absolutely, Xhaka is going to come back into the team. There, There is no doubt. You know, we... We have a better left-sided bias from an attacking point of view. He is the only player out of those three players who has an incisive long ball, which gets through, you know, the defensive lines and the structure of the other team. He's positionally aware and he's a leader on the pitch. So all of this fucking Xhaka oh, hate and, ev- and even... And even bringing it back to Xhaka when he's not even in the team and we're actually on a positive run, I don't even know why we're having the debate. But yes, he'll come back into the team because he is a very important leader within the team and and he makes other people positionally 
more flexible while he maintains his role. One eleven of the last 12 without him in the team. Darren? I need you to just put a comment up. 9.57. Go back to 9.57. Why not? It starts Dazza. Can you see that? Can you can you see that? I just need to address this point. There's a comment coming from Why Not, who's also still done his Arteta out, Cronkies out, shit. Uh, the comment says Dazza. That's me. Being black makes it more difficult to get high-level jobs. Look at Ollie at Manchester United. He's definitely qualified for any Premier League job. I read that and suddenly I think, do I come across as racist? And possibly I do. You know, I come from a uh, 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 from England, from a from a, a town that was was predominantly white. So there is some institutionalized racism within me. Uh, I've travelled all over the world. I've lived in many countries. I consider myself colour doesn't really come into my life. I can honestly say that from somebody who has lived everywhere. You know, and I've visited everywhere. I've spent. 40 years traveling around this planet so so color creed religion doesn't enter my my thought process when i talk about things soul campbell i wasn't criticizing him for being black i'm criticizing him because he's not good enough i know it's difficult to get a job when you're of a different creed color but that's not the point I'm making with Sol Campbell. I am talking about the point. If Sol Campbell was white and he had done what he did to Tottenham Hotspur, if he had done what he did and moved from one company to another company and upset so many people with no understanding of the feeling that he left behind, that makes that man uh, 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 the wrong man to follow. That is why he doesn't get a job. Not because he is of black skin, it's because he is fucking useless. And thanks and for that- Darren, but we make a point on us, brothers, to say whatever the fuck we want, not apologise for it, and be apolitical. So you could have, uh, you could have. You could have let it go, but I no, 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 no. I don't want to miss the point. I don't want people to miss the point. The point is, is not that he's a Judas cut. It's because yeah. as a man, I would not want to work for that man. I would not want to work for a man who can just walk away from something that he, everybody loved that man. He could have gone anywhere and he chose as a person to despise and, and get despised by thousands of people. He could have gone anewhere. And he chose to do that. Is and that choose a, a better club and make us better. So yeah, loved him as a player. He's Enjoyed him time me. at Arsenal. Enjoyed him at Arsenal. Fuck me, we were great. Loved him as a player. Hated him as a man. So oh, how, how, those, do we, how do oh we finish God, off? Can we finish the fucking podcast? I was going to say, how do we finish well, on a strong Toby, that's, that, that's what the host would usually do. The host would usually sort of bring it back as the man who's kind of filling the podcast together. So anyway, on those incredible bombshells, from Darren, there are some things I'd like to leave you with listeners. Number one, Aubameyang's cooked. Number two, I'd give Lacazette a new contract. Number three, Darren's a cunt. Number four, El Nenny is shit. Number five, Ainsley Maitland-Niles will be playing in England's midfield within the next two years. Number six, Darren's a racist. Good night. Oh, I've got to put the fucking music on. I had yeah. like the whole thing. I fucked it up again. Do it again. Like, Nobody's it. listening. Wait for it. (laughs) Fucking. 
You're all right, man. an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button.